We consider this morning in the preaching of the Word of God and the Gospel of God the truth of the origination of sin and the extent of it and the God who's over it. We consider something that's vital for the church to know as knowledge of her sin and miseries is crucial for knowing the Savior. So we have a catechism that would help us and guide us into this truth as we go through the entire counsel of God that's revealed in his word, and that's Lord's Day 3. And if you look in the insert in your, your, your um, bulletin, you find Lord's Day 3 and it's three questions and answers. And here, did God create man so wicked and perverse? Now, we've just been told on Lord's Day 2 that we are sinful, we've fallen, we need to know that. Here's the question, did God create man so wicked and perverse? And the answer is no, we could say not at all. God created man good and in his own image, that is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly truly know God, his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. And that there's the question, then where does man's corrupt nature come from? The answer is from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. Then this final, are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. You notice all the references there. Be something that would be helpful for family devotions um, to think about those texts, which are the basis for the doctrines of the Church of Christ, of the origination of sin, its extent, original sin, and, and who's at fault. I want to read three passages with regard to this Lord's Day and its subject. It's exhaustive. Uh, it, it's, no, inexhaustible. It's, it's an amazingly grand uh, subject, the subject of the beginning of sin and just how that works out and so on. So I want to read from three passages in the Bible, the law and the prophets and the New Testament and the very last book, Revelation. So first, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and parts of 1, 2, and 3. Genesis 1, and here at the end of the six days of creation is uh, this statement in verse 31 of Genesis 1. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. That's the last verse of Genesis 1. Go to the last verse of Genesis 2. And you have this good creation of God called marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that was good, too. That was very good. There was a help found for Adam, and there was this beginning of the society of the human race. But then you have Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, things that were very good and good become very bad. You 
because you have this serpent walking into the garden and talking, and he means no good. Genesis 3, 1 through 6, the very beginning, or verse 1 through 7, very beginning of sin on earth. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, hath God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, uh, eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He's calling God a liar. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband Adam with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. There you have beginning of sin on earth and among the human race. Now, let's go to Isaiah 14. Here's the prophets. What we're doing here is trying to gather together some text to understand the biblical uh, doctrine of the beginning of sin in heaven and on earth and then the resolution of it. Isaiah 14, speaking of Babylon, the quintessence, the greatest evidence of an enemy to Israel that there ever was, the, uh, the prophet <clears throat> speaks of this Babylon metaphorically as a person called Lucifer, addressing the king of Babylon. Verse 12 to 15, how you're fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, like God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the place of the dead and of judgment, to the lowest depths of the pit. Want to turn one more passage. Revelation 22, the very last passage of the Bible. Again, what I'm trying to do here is bring together things that pertain to the one thing of the origination of sin, the plan of God, and Jesus. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That's as far as I'm going to want to, to go right now in laying a basis for a sermon that has to do with God and Lucifer 
which can also be translated morning star, Isaiah 14, and the whole problem of sin. And now, I want to remind you of the faithfulness of the catechism, such as the Heidelberg Catechism, and all catechisms of the Reformation. They're faithful to the truth of sin and salvation and service, and also and especially of God. We are considering in Lord's Day 3 the knowledge of our sin and misery and the beginning of it all. The devil, Adam, they fell, and all this. And that's important. And the Catechism is reminded we have to know how great our sins and miseries are, and a better place to go than to the beginning. If we're going to know how great our Savior, the mediator, is, that's vital. And so many forget that part, the bad part, the sin and misery part, and say, we'll just go right to the Savior. And pretty much their Jesus and their preaching of Jesus is just like holding out candy because they don't really know just how bad it is, but how good God is to give Jesus. But by the grace of God, we, we know how bad it is through faithful instruction and through the word of God that confronts us every day. But God, that's where our catechism, and again, every other faithful catechism will lead us. When it asks the question right away, did God create man so wicked and perverse? And then answers faithfully, no. And here, letting God be God and not at all blaming God for sin. That's what we have to know right away. And not blaming anything so that God himself would be blackened, maybe, in our perceptions, his reputation clouded. So I want to consider that. And I want to, I'm going to be meditative today, um, thoughtful. I think it's, I'm getting older. Of God and Lucifer and sin and want to try to bring this all to you so that there might be one response. Worship. Let's get into it. There was in the beginning a very good creation. God made in six days a very good creation, and he pronounced it good. We read that. It's very good. And how that's kind of an understatement, we might say, very good. How about beautiful and wonderful and, and all of that? And because God did it, and we would expect nothing less or different than that God would make something very good. And we can't say thereby that the Bible is saying, well, it wasn't excellent. No, it was very good, which is excellent when it's said of God and God is saying that of what he's made. His works are all beautiful and excellent. And the highest of superlatives uh, would be exhausted if we would try to uh, lavish the praise of God in what he's made. He's made everything 
very good. And then Adam and Eve, they were the highest. They were in his image. And who would deny that? It was all very good, and they were perfect, and they were fellowshipping with God in creation. What a, what a great thing, a picture of heaven. But then you have the beginning of something very bad. In the beginning of something very bad, we should know, and children maybe haven't thought of this, the beginning of something very bad was not on earth. It was in heaven, where the angels dwell. Somehow, though we're not told in the six-day account of creation, six literal 24-hour days, just when the angels were made. That's a quiz question I give to the, the children when they're dealing with the Old Testament history of creation. What were the angels made? Well, it seems that they were made at the very beginning. I, I think that somewhere in Job it says that the, uh, the angels were there, the morning stars they're called, beholding God at work, but Job wasn't. They were, though. So it was before the sixth day, before Job was made, angels were beholding and delighting in the works of God. Ah, mysterious creatures are angels. And they were all good at the beginning. They were. They were very good. God made them that way. And, of course, what God said of all of his creation has to be very good because God said of all the six days it was very good and Angels are included. And we know of angels, the good ones anyway now, that they are very good. They're ministering spirits, the writer to the Hebrews says, for the heirs of salvation. They're God's servants. And they're the ones who declare the holiness of God in, in Isaiah's vision of the throne. And they cover their eyes and they have wings and they're, they're very busy and, and wanting to be busy and as urgent and as, go as fast as they can to the earth to serve God's people on behalf of the God whom they declare to be holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. There is, in fact, something said of the one who would become Satan, that he was a good angel. Now we put this together in the light of the Bible, and in light of the Bible, that in Isaiah 14 speaks of one Lucifer. Now, of the identity of this Lucifer, some have had different opinions, but in the main, the commentators here speak of this as a great king of Babylon. We don't know who it was. Babylon here is being uh, damned to hell by God. And this one who's the king called Lucifer is himself leading the way, and he himself will lead the way into destruction. O Lucifer, son of the morning, and then you back up half a verse, how you are fallen from heaven. Now, this is a metaphorical way of speaking of the exaltation of a king. He's great, he's ruling over the nations. But to say that he's fallen from heaven is, is a metaphor, a way, a figure of speech of describing the fall of a king before other kings or the subjects rebelling. But here we know, because of what it later on says of this Lucifer, that his being fallen from heaven has a double meaning. It's a reference, in fact, 
to one who was in heaven, literally. And perhaps one of the greatest of the angels, Satan, with great dignity, and uh, before whom even Michael, the archangel, trembled, as it were, at the authority of this, of this one called Lucifer here. And as I suggested, I, th- I think I did, a better translation is sun of the morning or day star. One of the stars, some think Venus, the planet, that breaks the dawn of day. It's still shining at the end of night. Now he can see it, and just before the dawn, Lucifer or this day star come out. It's, it's showy. It stands out. It's a bright morning star. And look how it describes this Lucifer, and, and this is what I'm trying to get at here. Before Adam fell, there was this fall of this Lucifer who became Satan. How you're fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. This is certainly something the devil has done. For you have said in your heart, just how the devil tempted Eve, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, the other angels. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. And on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, something, some position reserved for God alone. I will be like the Most High. And then his demise is announced, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. A reference to Revelation 20, when the devil is cast into the lake of fire. This is Lucifer. In his glory, described here in the kingship and kingdom of Babylon, the inveterate died in the wool, evil enemy of the church. This is the one who fell and came to the earth and took upon him the form of a servant of sin, of a snake to serve his own interests. This one who slithered into the garden, no. He walked into the garden. Later on, his knees were cut out from him and he slithered on the ground. And he talked and he was clever of all the creatures of the planet, the Bible says. And he says to the woman, you know, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden, and God heard a doubt. And then before her ears said, you're not going to die, don't worry. And in fact, the positive of your disobeying God will be, you'll be like God, your eyes open, you can determine good and evil, and you can find yourself and be yourself. Be all you can be without anyone telling you what to do. That's the devil who brought this sin to the ground, to the earth, and to God's people, and then got them to sin. Eve, and then Adam, and then because Adam was created the head of the race, the whole race falls in Adam. 
not in Eve. In Adam all die. So Paul says in Romans. Here is the beginning of the cursed earth. So in heaven it began, and then to the earth came Lucifer, who is now Satan, that is, the one who's against God in the church. That's what Satan means. He wasn't created that way, but he became that by his own pride. And then he instills in Eve to sin and in Adam to fall for that sin too. Of pride, you will be like God. That's how it all begins. Now, what the catechism reminds us doesn't deal much with the devil, though it does mention him from time to time. But the catechism dealing with man says, is God at fault? That's really what it's saying here. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? And no, God created man good with all the abilities and virtues to obey God, rightly to know him. He was in his image, after all. But here you have the problem. Here you have the problem that's plagued everybody who has ever met Christianity and Christianity in a person who was, a, who was defending the faith and Christianity's God who's said to be good and who's said to be all-powerful, and yet this happens. There's a devil who was created good, called Lucifer even, bright and morning star, great future, we would say, among the angels, and yet who became proud of himself. And that's... The first thing I would say is an explanation for the cause of evil, not of God. He didn't create man wicked and perverse, nor the devil. But the devil of himself said, I will be like God. I will ascend to his position beyond the clouds and above all of the other angels. I will be the ruler. And then this one now becomes Satan antagonist to God and God's people. He wants to get them on his side. You'll be his God too. You'll be his God. But we say, God didn't do this. This is so very important. Any church that would uphold the sovereignty of God knows it has to defend Defend God or defend the truth that God, though he's king over all, is not to be blamed at all. You ever think of that? I hope you have because this is uh, full in the Bible. God is sovereign. Isaiah 45, do I not make peace and create evil? And he's talking there about calamity in the, in the city. Is there evil done in the city and God hath not done it? who moved Shimei to curse David. It says Satan once, but also God, who moved David to number the people. Satan, but God. There's this 
duality, we might think. But ultimately, we know that God is in control. And here's how you have the, the difficulties of believing a truth of salvation and gospel that God saves us. And then you ask, from what? You say, from evil. Whence the evil? And you have to say somehow, well, it's from man himself and the devil. Yes, they get the blame. But ultimately, who's, who's in control here? Because if you think about it, what would you say of a man who's a dad, strong dad, big guy, loves his kids, and he, he can save them from just about anything, sees a fire, and one of his kids is just in the crib and he's sleeping, and the dad lets the fire burn and the child burn. Or a thief lets the thief come into the house and he just seems to be twiddling his thumbs while the thief ransacks the place, murders, pillages, rapes all in the house. What would you say of a dad like that? He could have stopped it. And he loves those people in that house, and yet he didn't. Well, with any other creature, we'd say this guy is culpable, throw him in the slammer, he's crazy, whatever. How, why would he do this? Had a bad moment, maybe. But we know it would be blasphemy to say this of God, don't we? In fact, the Bible has two things to remind us of, and this came out in conversations I've had with people this past week. The first is, you go to Romans 9, and where there's someone shaking his fist at God, who is the divine potter. He made some vessels of wrath and some vessels of mercy, and he destroys the vessels of wrath, and he saves the vessel of mercy. And the objection is, well, if we're just pots, and God is the potter, and he's that sovereign in control, like a potter at a wheel... We had nothing to do with how we were created. How can we get blamed? God made us. And this is the very deep question that is before us in this part of the catechism. And we dare not go on, really, beloved. We dare not go on if we just lose God at this point. Because then you see this whole thing is a fake. And this Bible is about an ogre. Or this Bible is about a devil who wins over things that God was not in control of. That's the answer that people called dualists come up with. They say that God's over good, but the devil's over evil. Lucifer, Satan, whatever you want to call him, Diabolos. So that there's two principles, but they're contending one with another, kind of like the gods on Mount Olympus. If you've ever been to Greece or whatever, they have all these gods. One's over the sea, one's over the earth, one's over life, one's over... Well, the Roman Catholics have made gods of their saints, one's over the dentist, and one's over this and that. 
But that's not how the Bible presents God as, is it? No. And the glory, in fact, of Israel's God is that he's the God of the sea and of the land and of the dentist and of the good and the evil and everything. He's really God, and there is no other God besides him. He's most high. See, that's what Lucifer wanted to be, most high. Not just high on Mount Olympus, among the gods, but on another plane of existence called godness. You see, high theology meets us here in the very lowness of man and the slithering of a snake who walks and talks. Seems like he has vestiges of the light even. The way to deceive so that he seems like a friend. The way of the devil from the beginning. But he's especially wanting to pull one over on Adam and Eve and everyone he meets about the truth of God. God isn't really going to keep his word. He's just faking you. He's just limiting you. I know a better plan. Here's the traitor, like Absalom, sits at the gate. I know better than David. Here's your bill. I'm going to rip it up and cut it in half, and that's all you need. So he won over people. The devil, just like that. So Romans 9 tells us there's an objection to God's predestination, double predestination, some vessels of wrath, some vessels of, of mercy. And it, it's like this. God seems to be arbitrary, seems to be impossible that he could be good and yet allow evil and powerful and do anything like allowing something if he's king. He rules. Kings rule. They don't just allow things. He rules. And so the answer of Romans is very helpful. Also for the beginning of sin, who art thou that repliest against God? O man, O man, who are you to reply against God? Romans 9, right there. And that is what we need to do here if we would remember that in the beginning there was God. My first point, in the beginning there's God. And in the end there's God. And in the midst of all the fray, there's God. He's God and powerful and good. And we cannot compare him to a man who in a, a fit of insanity or weakness or um, having a bad day just neglects the fire or the fact that somebody has a match that he's about to light to the house and some intention to kill. We can't do that. We can't compare God to this man because Romans says, who art thou, O man, to reply against God? And when we face the origin of evil, that's the first thing we need to know. We may not know the answers, and we don't know the answers. But then the other thing, the positive, is this. It's not just that we... We can only come so 
far in our consideration of this and then stop in consideration of the bad things. But I would commend to your attention that it works with the positive things too. With regard to everything that's good from God, we can only go so far and then we have to stop. It's overwhelming, you see. Here we are focusing on what was very bad and we're forgetting what was very good of this God in the beginning. If of this God who had a realm of angelic beings to serve him. We're forgetting just how good God is. As if the badness somehow is clouding our vision of the good God. No. Who are we, O oh, men and women and children, to think we can discover and truly understand just how good God is? So the bad and the good and everything in between, as we would categorize this, is not unknowable but incomprehensible. We, we cannot plumb the depths. You see, we're, we're at a, grid, a great ocean here of truth. In the beginning of the scripture, it's lapping up at our shore. And it's at the end of the scripture. And it's in the middle of the scripture. And all that God would reveal to us, we are at an ocean and we're seeing something, but it's very deep. And there's an infinite expanse beyond our vision of good and evil. Just say in the beginning of God, and then you'll begin to know worshipfully. Congregation, this is the prayer of, of your servant and of the leaders here. Let us be worshipful. And even with regard to good and evil, bow to God. That's what life's all about. And then, however, and in one point of view, in the first half of the second point, this might make it harder. There doesn't seem any way out. The serpent, he seems to get his way here. And he does. He does. The, the woman sees and then uh, Adam falls for it and the whole human race falls and Adam, everybody dies and this is terrible. And, and this is what happens. And you see in the generations following this, well, first of all, in God's own promise here that there's a curse and the woman has consequences and for the man there's consequences. In the generations there's consequences. Their firstborn Cain kills brother Abel and spawns a race of the seed of the, of the devil. So the devil is infiltrating the whole place called the human race and humanity, this earth. And there's devils with him and demons called principalities and powers in the Bible so that this, out of this fallen race and there would be a Lamech and who would uh, be an adulterer and a murderer as well. 
But out of that race would become Babel after the flood. Babel, the Tower of Man, remember that? Genesis 11. Men build a tower, they get together, and they're going to be this great power. That's the beginning of Babylon. That brings us to Isaiah. Babel at the first, humanity getting together in the name of man defying God. Babylon, the epitome of everything that humanity is against God. And then you have in the end of the scriptures, Babylon the great that's fallen, the mystery of iniquity, the great whore that unites political and religious powers. It's a beast out of the sea and a beast out of the earth so that people are duped and the devil's having his way. And he comes into churches and he comes into our lives disguised as an angel of light. And we're told in the Bible to watch out for him and watch out for him who's a lion who wants to eat us up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There it is. There it is. He has his way, and you see this today. What chaos. The devil's the author of that. And humanity goes right along with that, likes to read the book of the devil and even add its own pages. They're like their father, the seed of the devil. And they fight and they bite and they devour each other. And even churches can become synagogues of Satan. And all part of the mess. And that's from one who is called the Morning Star, (laughs) who was somehow created early on before the human beings were created, and, and he became this one, and he takes on the form of wicked kings, Babylon, and Babylonian kings, and Syrian kings, and kings, and presidents, and prime ministers of of this world who lead in iniquity, who say they're doing right by people and who are monsters of injustice and unrighteousness and the promoters of murders in the name of being promoters of good and charity. Now, beloved, into the picture, Jesus. So I read the reference in the New Testament in Revelation 22, verse 16, that Jesus is called the Son of David, the Root of David, and the Bright and Morning Star. You see, Jesus is the real star of God, the real Son of God, not created but the eternal son. In fact, at the beginning was Jesus, and Proverbs 8 tells us this too. There's this amazing description of the wisdom of God in in Proverbs, and it says that the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. Before his works of old, I've been established from everlasting, from the beginning, before there was ever an earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. It's the eternal generation of the Son. 
I was beside God as a master craftsman, daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men who would be born. This is how we come to Jesus, even in the very beginning of sin. Because before the devil was the son of God, before the, the false light, bright and morning star, the great proud usurper is Jesus, the eternal son, the uncreated one with God who wisely brought forth things just so they would be such that he would enter into them. So here you have the mystery not just of good and evil, but of God and Jesus. And of the fact that God would take us out of this mess. Look what follows the mess of Adam and Eve and starting to fix things on their own. Pharisees, the first Pharisees, we're just going to cover this up with our works and our fig leaves. Right after that we read God coming to them. That's grace. And that's because by Jesus and for Jesus, the worlds were made that God would take sinners and make them his own. That he would preserve what he had chosen, what the devil may never, ever get. That's you and that is me. All seen in the beginning. So that discovering our sin and misery and having to do that is not hopeless and it's not a miserable quest to discover our sin and misery and how great it is because we find Jesus in the middle and Jesus in the wreckage and Jesus in the burning house and Jesus somewhere in Israel and even among Hamas, for all we know. We tend to categorize who's worse, who's better. But look no further than your nose. He came even to you and said, I love you. Jesus. You see, everything about the devil, who's the fake bright and morning star, is anti-Christian and anti-Christ. The picture of this in 2 Thessalonians 2, he sits in the church and he, uh, called the temple of God and he pretends he is God. That's his sin. And so he comes and he takes over everything religious and he poses as God the Savior when he's the devil personified. But we're saved from that, beloved. So we might get lost about all this stuff. But just get lost in Jesus, will you? not just in the finer points of philosophy, trying to figure it out, explain it to others. Bend the knee. Leave it with God. Good and evil and mercy. And this is finally what leads to our living unto God. We would live unto God in a holy life. And Remember, we're those whose only comfort in life and death is that we belong to Jesus. We belong to the true bright and morning star. 
first in the counsel of God, that we might live unto him and serve him forever. We live a holy life. The devil leads a unholy life, always about himself. The Christian leads a holy life, always about God, hating sin and worshiping God. And full of confidence, too, and I want to leave you with that. Beloved, we need to be confident. We need to be full of courage. We need to be those who aren't afraid. That's the Bible in all of our life, including now. Do not be afraid. Be of good courage. God is with us. You see, God went to the depths of creating the world so it might fall even, and creating angels so that some of them might fall even. Why? And this doesn't solve it all, but here's what we can conclude. So that out of the wreckage might be seen the great house, the church, which Satan can never collapse Because God loves us and loves his church. Satan is doomed. Lucifer, king of Babylon, representing Satan and Antichrist, tries to ascend into heaven, says he'll be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the prophet says, to the lowest depths of the pit. And Jesus reminds us that all those who oppose and exalt themselves against God and his people shall not prevail against us. The gates of hell themselves, for God is for us. And who can be against us? Amen. We thank you, Lord, that you bless us and keep us in the knowledge of you. We stammer a few things about the origination of sin, original sin, who's responsible. But Lord, you have given a certain word. You will be God in all of it. You will be great and most high above all things, above the fray, but coming into the fray, sending your Son, who is most high, but he becomes most low and dies on the cross for us, every sin to atone. What a great God is Jesus now ascended to the right hand of God by your appointment and your honor, ruling all things, multitudes of nations and kings and all sorts even of devils and wicked men by your power and ruling the church of Christ, the apple of the eye of God, the bride of the groom, in love. God bless us. Love us, Lord, that we might love you back. Forgive our many sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.